Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, we have a bumper first episode for a new decade, and it's somewhat different than our roundups from previous years at this time. Wait, you mean no predictions? <laughs> no predictions. It's time to shake ourselves, I think, from that habit. I mean, the thing I'm asked more than anything else at the moment is who's going to win the 2020 election? And I have no idea. All too often, experts really just make the wrong forecast. Yeah. You know, it would be so nice if people would just say, I don't know, instead of feeling like, you know, anyone who's in a position of journalistic authority has to have an informed opinion. And when they're wrong, you know, you never hear them come back the next day or rarely and just say, hmm, yeah, I actually didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> it's a little bit like the weather forecast and they get that wrong. So for the start of 2020, we have a better idea. Collaborating and sharing ideas from groups we've connected with and are helping How Do We Fix It grow our audience. Is this just a movement of independence or is it much more than that? It is a movement of everyone who wants to put country before party. Would you say this movement is growing? Absolutely growing. On fire. This movement is on fire. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? This has been a really good year for How Do We Fix It. Our audience is up, and there's kind of a sense of urgency about a lot of the big issues that we have talked about on this show. And we're working with a whole bunch of other groups and innovators that are also kind of part of this ecosystem, promoting messages of positive change that transcends traditional political boundaries and tribes. But we need to do more. So we're activating our community, sharing ideas with others, and celebrating our collaborations. The first example we're going to revisit is Bridge Alliance. This is a collaboration that includes nearly 100 groups from across the country working to fix the trust crisis and bridge those divides that we talk about a lot, helping fix our broken political system. Our first guest on this episode is Debbie Lynn Molyneux, who's the executive director of Bridge Alliance. I spoke with her during the summer. We convened the first meeting of what became the Bridge Alliance around the question, what could we do better together? Because every organization in the room acknowledged that their solution was not sufficient to the level of crisis that we were facing in our country. And, and many of those organizations, relatively small, not highly funded. 
Correct. And some of them are, are huge. And together we formed this coalition or alliance, if you will, of organizations with a, with a commitment to collaborate where possible, to promote each other, and to generally spread the word out there to the public who is largely unaware that there's anything happening, that there's a movement forming, that there is hope and here's a way that we can solve the problems of our country. Is this just a movement of independence or is it much more than that? It is a movement of everyone who wants to put country before party. Bridge Alliance includes a bunch of thinkers and organizations who we've interviewed on How Do We Fix It, from Philip K. Howard of Common Good, one of our earliest guests, to All Sides Now and the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation. I asked Debbie Lynn, how is her movement doing at this time of hyperpartisan politics and cultural divide? One of the things that we have discovered about Bridge Alliance is that a lot of folks who are working on social issues, whether it's tax cuts from the right or social justice issues from the left, when they use the current dysfunctional process for democracy, they use a winner-take-all mentality. And that winner-take-all mentality actually erodes the very ideals of democracy that we're trying to hold or enact in a better, more healthy way. Well, let's walk through the argument over abortion. I mean, you're, you're either in favor of a woman's right to choose or you're not. So how do you try and reach a middle ground or, or a more respectful conversation on that one? Yeah, so, so I actually just had this conversation with a Pentecostal Trump-supporting friend of mine. And there's no way I'm changing her mind. There's no way she's changing my mind. But we did agree that making birth control readily available to women in all cases for all socioeconomic groups is a first step to preventing unwanted pregnancies. So in other words, the focus becomes fewer abortions. Yeah, fewer unwanted pregnancies will result in fewer abortions, period. So what sort of difference are you you making and, and is Bridge Alliance making to this national crisis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for Bridge Alliance, we're helping provide a laboratory, a place where people can practice collaboration and relational skills building, and then take it out to the general public. Is it like just how to have better conversations, how to listen better, things like that? So so tell me, how many of your friends sit down and have conversations with somebody who's their political opposite? Not many. And more and more, what I am have seen over the last 15 years is that we have become more and more afraid of talking to each other. So when I say relational skills building, instead of it being kind of a wooden saying, it is actual practice that we need to take with each other as citizens without a facilitator in the room because the facilitator is, you know, we only want facilitators so they can tell those other people to sit down and shut up. We actually need to take this power back for ourselves and start working on it neighbor to neighbor friend to friend, family member to family member. And I know that among the organizations that are really working hard on that, Living Room Conversations uh, that you've been involved with, Better Angels is is another group, uh, and I'm sure there there are a bunch of others. National Institute for Civil Discourse is doing this with state legislators because it just because people are elected doesn't mean they're any less afraid to talk to the other, whoever they think the other is, uh, helping people cross even some of the racial Stuff And there's actually one of our members is the National Conversation Project. They have 200 member organizations alone of people who host these type of relational skills building 
work and events. Would you say this movement is growing? Absolutely growing. On fire. This movement is on fire. Debbie Lynn Mono from episode 214. We called that one Rebuilding the Social Contract. The second organization we're going to talk about is one that's especially important to me. It's called the Heterodox Academy. And you can basically think of heterodoxy as the opposite of orthodoxy. It's the idea that free speech and open inquiry, but especially diverse opinions, are of vital importance in universities and colleges where so many ideas are shaped and brought to the fore. And if there's not enough diversity there, something goes wrong at this important engine of our, of our popular and political culture of intellectual debate. In the spring, we partnered with Deb Mashek of Heterodox Academy and interviewed Arthur Brooks, the outgoing leader of the American Enterprise Institute. And he wrote a best-selling book in 2019 called Love Your Enemies. It's a subversive and sort of a crazy-sounding idea. But the idea behind most major religions, ethically, is that it's pretty pretty easy, pretty conventional to love your friends or to love your family, although you know people go in and out on that too. But to love your enemies is something entirely different. And when, when, when you look at the, the, the great religious teachers, from Jesus to the Buddha, they talk about the, the, the fact that when you, when you love your enemies, you see them in a different way, you change your own heart, and as such, you don't destroy your enemies, you destroy the illusion that they were your enemies in the first place. We talk about politics, that, that we're treating each other as if we were intractable foes, enemies, and, and in point of fact, that's the wrong way of seeing each other. It's contrary to the, the, teaching of the teachings of the American founders. In your book, you write, we don't have an anger problem in American politics. We have a contempt problem. Yeah, that's right. So a- anger is a hot emotion. It's, uh, it's, it's not inherently unhealthy. It basically says, I care what you think, and I want to change the way that you think because I care about you. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting uh, little bit of literature on this in the social psychology world that, that suggests that anger is, is not highly correlated with separation and divorce among married couples. The problem is when you take anger and you mix it with another emotion, which is disgust. Disgust, which treats another person as a pathogen. Not, not their ideas, the person per se. Anger and disgust are compound, a toxic compound, kind of like mm-hmm. ammonia and bleach, where individually, <laughs> you know, they can, be, they can be troublesome, but if you put them together, they turn into a gas. And chlorine they can, gas. Yeah, chlorine yeah. gas. You don't Knocks want you that. Out. Yeah, that uh, figures that the editor of Popular Mechanics knew that. <laughs> well, it killed a lot of people in World War One. It did, it did indeed. It did indeed. We should explain that Jim is the former editor in chief of Popular Mechanics. <laughs> yeah. For li- for listeners of Half Hour of Heterodoxy, they may not know this stunning. It's a fact. pretty cool background. But anyway, that's not my point. You know, my point <laughs> is that 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 what the kind of damage it could do that could do to people. Uh, contempt does to marriages. It does to families. It does to friends, and it does to the United States of America. What's happening is, and by the way, contempt was defined by Schopenhauer in the 19th century as the conviction of the utter worthlessness of another person. It's a cold emotion. Anger is hot. Contempt is cold. It says you're not worth caring about. And when you express that, the research is very clear. People will become your enemy. That's the best way to alienate people. This is an incredibly impractical way to treat other people because if you're talking about politics or ideology, or you want to convince other people. You want to persuade other people. The very worst way to try to persuade other people is by insulting them, by treating them with disdain, with contempt. And you, you talked about what contempt can do to our families and to our communities and to our democracy. 
what does contempt do to ourselves? When we feel contempt for others, what's the impact on the self? The interesting thing is when you treat another person with contempt, it's correlated with with increasing levels of stress hormones, that you increase anxiety and stress in your own life when you treat other people with contempt. There's nothing good that comes with contempt. And the, the basic problem here, by the way, is not that we dislike somebody else's ideas. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having disdain for somebody's ideas because they're wrong or, or, or even bad and evil. The problem is when we conflate people's ideas with those people themselves. Arthur Brooks author of Love Your Enemies, from How Do We Fix It, episode 197, which we produced in collaboration with the Heterodox Academy. You know, we love that interview so much, we included it in two episodes in 2019. And one of the things I really like is that Arthur is a conservative, but the ideas in this book can be embraced by liberals and and people of all political beliefs. Thanks to Deb Mashek and Heterodox Academy. Their podcast is called Half Hour of Heterodoxy. Check it out. Coming next are recommendations of what to watch, listen to, and read. And then we want to highlight the work of three more of our partners, Civic Hall, Solutions Journalism Network, and Listen First Coalition. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Time for recommendations, Jim, our new regular feature. What do you have? So this time of year, for anyone with kids who are seniors in high school or thereabouts, it can be a time of great anxiety as everyone's worried about the college applications. There's a book that's highly relevant to this. It's not an advice book. It's a book that really looks at how we got into a situation where there's so much pressure on kids getting into college. It's called The Years That Matter Most, How College Makes or Breaks Us by Paul Tuff. And it's a really thoughtful look at really two different worlds of college. One is at the elite level, but also students who don't come from such affluent backgrounds. In some cases, people who aren't as academically oriented and how the system has really put a lot of those people in a very, very untenable situation. It's an issue that I think we're going to be wrestling with as a society for many years to come. The book is The Years That Matter Most, How College Makes or Breaks Us by Paul Tuff. And we'll have a link to that book and also to the groups that we're talking with today on our website, howdowefixit.me. You know, we've been speaking about collaborating and partnering, which has been a fundamental part of podcasting as a business since its inception. 
So I want to recommend a blog from Joni Deutsch, who works for a public radio station in Charlotte, WFAE. This week, she wrote something for the Neiman Lab as part of its journalism forecast for 2020. Joni says podcasting unsilences the silent and that podcasts are for anyone to speak, to create, to be empowered. You know, the entry is very small in terms of the amount of money you have to put out. And so it enables a lot of people to break their silence. And she also includes in her article this thought that 2020 will undoubtedly be a big podcast year for movie stars, presidential candidates, and the like. But we can't let this commercialized hyper-celebrity noise drown out the diverse voices, the perspectives, and stories that can and should call podcasting home. Speaking of diversity, our next guest is actually a a longtime friend of mine, Mika Sifri, co-founder and president of Civic Hall, which promotes the use of what they call civic tech, using technology in ways to improve the world. This was from episode 212 of How Do We Fix It? There's a lot happening in this space. What does your organization, Civic Hall, bring to it? So we started Civic Hall four years ago, built on a simple hunch, which was that there was a latent community of people in New York, where we're based, who were looking for a greater level of mutual support around the fact that they are trying to use tech for the public good. They are attacking a wide range of societal problems, but that giving them more of a daily workspace and and collaborative community hub was something that they were really hungry for. This civic tech movement comes at a time when the tech sector is deservedly under fire for invading our privacy and for some algorithms that maybe promote division in our society and our culture. One example Mika told us about began in East Africa nearly 12 years ago. There is a disputed election in Kenya, and the government, which is trying to keep the country from breaking apart over the results of this election, clamps down on all news about election-related disturbances and whether polling sites are being inappropriately accessed. And a blogger named Oriokolo starts collecting this information on her blog from all of her readers. People are just sending her news about what's going on locally. And she decides, I'm going to just make my blog a hub for information about what's going on. But then one day she says, gee, wouldn't it be great if we could put these reports onto a Google map so people could discover where the problems are, what's going on near them? Two of her readers back in the United States see this and write her and they say, you know what? We know how to use Google Maps. We can build that tool for you. And not only can we build it, but we can build it in a way that anybody else could use it. Thus was born a platform called Ushahidi, which just means witness in Swahili. And Ushahidi was first used as an election monitoring site, but it has now been used in thousands and thousands of cases around the world for anybody in a society where they're facing a crisis, whether it's a, a, a disaster like a tsunami or an earthquake or whatever, or forest fires that happened in Russia, or it's more of a political crisis. I, like I think somebody election. just used it to map 
reports of feces on the streets of San Francisco. Absolutely, perfectly (laughs) reasonable use of that. Can we fight big tech with civic tech? Well, I think that to a certain degree, we use civic tech as an attempt to get the rest of tech to reorient itself, that we're trying to change the value orientation of tech and the decision makers in tech to get them to be more civic. Um, What we're trying to get, what we desperately need is tech that at its core is designed for civic purposes first. And this has all come at us really fast. Um, You know, the, the pace of technological change, the degree to which our behavior has been transformed. And I think we're now, as a society, trying to catch up. Um, And so civic tech is part of that effort to try and rebalance things. Michael Sifri of Civic Hall. Uh, We have plans to do more shows about civic tech in 2020, thanks to a grant provided by Solutions Journalism Network, which is the fourth group we're highlighting and collaborating with. Solutions Journalism Network is a nonprofit group that works with journalists and the media in general to rebalance the news so that every day people are exposed to stories that help them understand problems and challenges. They're stories that show solutions to problems, not just exploring the problem and pointing fingers at who caused it. Earlier this year, we spoke with Jody Jackson, author of a book called You Are What You Read, and she makes a powerful case for reforming the news business, which gives a distorted view of the world. I think the issue that I'm most concerned about is about the entire culture of the news to report so heavily on the negative. So in the industry, I believe they have a, a mantra that says, if it bleeds, it leads. And, um, and what this does is it pushes these stories of problems, failings, scandals, corruptions, murders, famines and natural disasters to the front of the news agenda. And, and then for consumers, this becomes all that we see, because at the same time, news organizations often ignore stories of solutions, progress, peace building and developments. And, and so we're left with this broken and distorted vision of the world that doesn't necessarily reflect what it actually looks like. So it makes it appear to be much worse than perhaps it is. And and this isn't to say that these problems and atrocities don't exist because they do, but it's not all that exists. And we're perhaps lacking the context to see where they fit and to, and to properly understand their significance. Well, let me push back with a standard sort of news person's perspective. Isn't it the job of the news media to root out corruption, to discover the toxic waste dump that's been hidden? A lot of people, a lot of journalists would say that's their job. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with you. I think that problems-focused news is incredibly valuable. You know, when journalists ask the challenging questions, they highlight failures, expose corruptions, um, and make us aware of problems, as well as hold power to account. The news is incredibly important and valuable in helping us fight and correct injustice. It helps keep us safe, and it's helped drive legislation that improves society. And this is because unless we're made aware of the problem, we can't understand, confront, and correct it. So it is a good thing. But the problem is we have this huge imbalance and where once it was helpful, it's now actually becoming um, quite harmful. That's Jody Jackson from episode 201. And you can hear all of her interview at our website at howdowefixit.me. And to search our site, just enter her name in the search box on the front page and it'll come right up. 
Before our final interview on this episode about sharing and collaborating, I would be remiss, Jim, not to mention our fundraising page at Patreon. Search for How Do We Fix It? It's another way of helping us build our community by uh, giving us a little money. Yeah. Also, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Those five-star reviews are a really good way to boost our visibility. And when you boost us, you're also boosting all the people that we talk with, so many of whom are engaged in in really important work that we want to showcase. One of the great collaborators who we met for the first time this year is a fellow called Pierce Godwin, who heads up the Listen First Coalition. More than 250 organizations promoting and practicing listening first to bridge divides and mend the frayed fabric of America are members of the coalition. We worked with Listen First on the National Week of Conversation back in April of 2019. Another even larger event is being organized for this coming spring. I asked Pierce, why is listening so important. Yeah, I I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are like me. We're very anxious to talk and to get our opinions and perspectives out there. Um, And so the idea of listening first, particularly listening first to understand, uh, really turns that on its head. I mean, it's not just about listening. It's also about the kind of attitude we're bringing into that conversation. So number one, of course, is listen first to understand, but it's also the spirit of being curious and open to learning, of suspending judgment and extending grace and maximizing the diversity of perspectives. Those are the top four principles for a listen-first conversation. There are many more practical tips behind those, but I think that posture of coming in willing to learn with a spirit of curiosity is what will bring us to a place in which we are learning from one another and building greater connections and relationships as opposed to throwing grenades and tearing each other apart. Our friend Pierce Godwin of Listen First Coalition. And we try to listen to each other. That was episode 224. To me, Richard, one of the great joys about doing this podcast has been learning the kind of delicate dance of collaboration, of doing an interview with two people. When you and I have these people in the studio, or sometimes we have them on Skype, figuring out who asks the next question, not stepping on each other's toes. And that involves, before anything else, really listening, really paying attention. And we'll be continuing to listen to our partners and collaborators in the new year. Hope you can continue to join us and listen in. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our senior collaborator and producer and sharer is Miranda Schaefer, who does such a wonderful job throughout the year editing our show. We're a production of Davies Content. At Davies Content, we make digital audio podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Check out our work at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.